That's exciting stuff. Hey, if you got your Bible this morning, would you meet me in Luke chapter 18? Luke chapter 18. This morning, I want to bring you a message called, What's Good? What's Good? Sometimes I'll walk into the office on Sunday mornings, and Pastor Corey will be sitting in his office, or I'll be sitting in my office, and he'll walk in, and we'll see each other in the morning walking through the hall, and we'll look at each other, or I'll look at him, and I'll say, Corey, what's up? Good morning. And he won't say, good morning, or hi, how's it going? He'll say, what's good? And I'm like, what does that even mean, you know? <laughs> it just shows me that I'm 10 years older than Corey, and apparently getting older by the day. But this morning, I want to bring you a message called, what's good? And this will be further explained as we get a little bit further into this scripture today. But I think you're going to understand this when we, get, when we start talking about the story. There's a very familiar passage I want to look at today that many of you, if you've been in church for a long time or if you've been walking with God for a little while, you will know this story pretty well. So let's jump into this. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 18. It says, Now a certain ruler asked him, asking Jesus, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when he heard this, he became sorrowful, for he was very rich. I think one of the most interesting things about the way that God created us, the way that he created humanity, us as human beings, is that there will be various things in life that we will hold in common. There will be common experiences, common life experiences that we will all go through. But it's so interesting how even after having common experiences, we can walk away with different opinions and different feelings and different conclusions. It's crazy how God made us very similar, but yet so different. And I'm not even talking yet about eternal things. Let's just talk about some temporal, trivial things for just a moment. Isn't it interesting how we can all look at the same thing but have a different perspective? And here's an example of that. If I told you that next week I was going to go skydiving and I said, hey, I'm going skydiving next week, who wants to come? There are some of you that would like jump out of your chair and be like, I want to go. That sounds amazing. That sounds exciting. That sounds exhilarating. I want to do that. And there are some of you that if I said, I'm going skydiving next week, do you want to come? You're like, why in the world would you ever want to do that? That sounds terrifying. Don't you realize you're jumping out of a plane from thousands of feet in the sky and there is a very hard ground underneath you that if something goes wrong, boom, that's it. It's over. It's all done. There are some of you that get excited at the idea of skydiving. There are others of you that are terrified at the idea of jumping out of an airplane. Now, let's just talk about another example of this. Again, we're just talking about trivial, ordinary things. Food. Now, there are many of us in here that in order for us to live and survive, we must consume nutrition, like in the nutrients that we need in order to survive and thrive in life. There are many things that all of us could eat, but not all of us enjoy the same things. And I'll just throw out one of those dividing ones right here, okay? How many people like sushi? Now, there are many of you that as soon as I said sushi, you like looked at your spouse and said, that's where we're going for lunch today. <laughs> and there are some of you that when you heard sushi, your stomach turned and you went like this. Because here's the thing. Have you ever noticed this? Like sushi is one of those foods that you either love it or you absolutely despise it. Like there's no middle ground with sushi. 
because we're talking about fish, right? And that's a funny thing because my wife and I, that's, we're kind of a good example of that. If you said to me, hey, Zach, do you want to go get sushi? I will get so excited. I'll be like, yes, let's go today. If you said to my wife, do you want to go get sushi? She's like, surely there's something else we could eat. Because I love it, but she can't stand it. I mean, another example of this, think about music, okay? If I asked you the question, do you like good music? Your answer is going to be yes. But the question is, what's good? Because the kind of you, music that you like might not be the kind of music that I like. And the kind of music that I like might not be the kind of music that you like. Let's just take a couple examples of this. You know, Aaron, Pastor Aaron and I were talking about this in the office the other day. Everybody can respect the musicianship of classical music, but I can't stand it. I mean, it sounds like a good way to fall asleep to me, right? Now, that's not to say that it's not good in a general sense, but to me, it ain't good. I don't enjoy it. Here's another example of this. How many of you are familiar with EDM music? Some of you are like, what's that? Electronic dance music. We used to just call it techno, okay? But now it's gotten more specific. It's EDM, electronic dance music. This is a funny thing about EDM, okay? Have you ever been driving down the street and it's a peaceful drive. Everything's good, it's quiet, it's calm, the roads are clear. You pull up to a stoplight, you come to a complete stop, and everything's good, and suddenly, like, someone pulls up next to you having their own private rave party in the car, <laughs> and they have EDM just absolutely blasting for all of the entire Temecula Valley to hear it. I hear that, and I'm like, that's not good. <laughs> but what's good? Because I might not like it, but they like it so much that they want to share it with the whole world. <laughs> so the question becomes, what's good? In your eyes, what's good? In my eyes, what's good? Now, these are simply trivial things, and they don't have absolute answers, because my opinion of good when it comes to these things is one thing, but your opinion of good might be something totally different. You know, it's funny, I was thinking about this last night, and, you know, EDM music, okay? Like, you have to be at a club or a party or, like, on drugs to like that music. <laughs> and I'm not endorsing drugs. I'm just saying you have to be on them to enjoy that, okay? Like, let's, let's get it straight here. <laughs> but what's good? Because your, ident your identification or your, your view of good might be different than mine. Now, we're just talking about trivial things right now. But in each one of our lives, we are going to have to get past trivial things, and we're going to have to answer eternal questions. We're going to have to answer bigger questions. And if we want to get the big, the big answers to the big questions, we have to go to the big God who holds all of those answers in his hands. In Luke chapter 18, this rich young ruler approaches Jesus one day, and he doesn't have trivial questions. In fact, he has the biggest question of them all to ask Jesus. He says, good teacher, what must I do to gain or to inherit eternal life. How many know that's a pretty big question? And if you want to find the answer to that question, you don't need to look to the opinions of men. You need to go to the God, the source of life, who can answer that question for you. Now, this story plays out in a really cool and a really interesting way. But what's interesting about it to me is that I think that when this rich young man, if you read this in other translations, he's called the rich young ruler. When the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, he's wanting Jesus to give him a comfortable answer so that the comfort he can experience in the life that is to come is equal to the comfort he has here on this earth. And instead of Jesus giving him a comfortable answer, Jesus gives him an absolutely confrontational answer. He looks at him and he begins to question everything about his very status and his very existence. I want to submit to you this morning 
that there are times in our lives where we need to come to God more than just comfortable, for more than just comfortable answers. We need to come to him and allow him to confront the issues that we have in our life. I love it that when you come to church these days, when you walk in, there are greeters there to greet you and to say hi. That when you walk in, you can smell the coffee in the air in the coffee shop. That there are people who are friendly and welcoming, at least I hope that was your experience this morning. And we want everybody who might come into this church from the outside to come in and have a very comfortable, engaging, hospitable experience. But can I be really honest with you? My prayer after that is that as soon as you walk through the doors of this auditorium, that when you walk in here, you are confronted by the truth of God's word. Because the truth of God's word will come face to face with the sin of our life and our sinful, broken condition. And this morning, as we go forward, I want to look further into the story of Jesus and the rich young ruler. And I want to give you four confrontational questions that we all must answer in our walk with God. One more time, four confrontational questions that we all must answer in our walk with God. Here's the first question if you're taking notes. Number one. Is Jesus good or is Jesus God? Is Jesus good or is Jesus God? Now, I already asked you that question, what's good? How do we define what good is? When this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he asks him the question, how shall I gain eternal life? It's interesting that Jesus doesn't just give him a simple answer to that question. Instead, Jesus draws a line in the sand and says, are you standing on your side of the line or are you standing on my side of the line? Because the very first thing that he says in verse 19, when he said, good teacher, what shall I do to gain eternal life? Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. Now, we have to understand this a little bit further because when you look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, there were huge crowds of people that followed or really were there to observe the works and the things that Jesus was doing. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But here's the thing. Jesus went about doing many good things. He healed the sick. He opened blind eyes. He healed deaf ears. He made the lame and the cripple walk again. Jesus taught good principles of the kingdom of God. He talked about loving your neighbor, praying for your enemies, blessing those who curse you, to be a servant of other people, to consider, your, to consider others first and to consider yourself last. These were all good principles that people looked at Jesus and his character and his works and they said, he's a good man. But when the rich young ruler came to Jesus, what he, the question that he asked him about eternal life brought him face to face with, do you believe that I am good, just good, or do you believe that I am God? See, when we come face to face with Jesus, we are confronted with this reality of what kind of authority and weight his words carry in our life. Does he just hold and speak good words, or does he speak God words of truth into our life? And I love how he confronts the rich young ruler rather than giving him a simple answer. I want to say to you today that in your walk and in your relationship with God, it is entirely possible that you could settle for your own version of good and never step into all of the good things that Jesus has by recognizing that he's more than good, he is God. You can sit back on your side of the line and say, well, I believe that he's good. But here's the thing, a relationship with Jesus is sometimes more than comforting, it's confrontational. Because he's going to call out the imperfections of my life. He's going to call out the sin and my broken condition. And all of us have to understand that when we look at Jesus, the call of God, if we want to step into eternal life, is to recognize that he's more than good. He's God. He's the one who's been sent 
from the Father. Now, think about this for a moment. The rich young ruler comes to him, and he wants to hear what he has to say about it, but the question is, what kind of authority and weight do Jesus' words carry in his life? Are they just good words, or are they God words? Look at what it says in John chapter 12. Let me read this to you. This is Jesus speaking. John 12 and verse 49. Jesus says, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And verse 50 says, and I know that his command is everlasting life. That's the thing that the rich young ruler is asking about. How can I gain everlasting life? Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. What's Jesus saying here? He says, I stand here not bringing you my own words. I stand here bringing you the words of the Father who sent me because I'm not just good, I'm God. But if you want to discover the eternal life that God has for you, you have to recognize that Jesus is more than good. Jesus is God. Last week was Easter Sunday, and we had an enormous day here at the church. In fact, this place was just packed out for three services. And man, it was a really, really great day. And you know, as pastors, we walk away just almost overwhelmed by everything that God was doing, by the amount of people that not just came to church, but the amount of people that you brought to church and invited to church. And it was such an amazing experience. And I pray and I hope that when people came into this place, they came face to face with the goodness of God. But I also, oh, I also pray that they were confronted with the choice of is Jesus good or is Jesus God? Because if we want to find the answers to eternal life, we have to move past good and we have to step into this reality that he's more than good. He's God. And we have to live our life on his terms rather than our own. Now, here's the second confrontational question that we all must answer in our walk with God. Number two. Am I a fan or am I a follower? Am I a fan or am I a follower? Because as soon as the rich young ruler walks up to Jesus and he calls him good teacher, there's this sense of admiration that he's speaking about. He believes in the good things that he's done. He believes in the good things that he's saying. And he believes that there is virtue, that there's goodness that's flowing from Jesus. But then Jesus challenges him to be more than just a fan. He says, why don't you come and follow me as well? And we're going to talk more about everything that he encouraged him and invited him to lay down in just a moment. But it's so important that we understand this. Look again at verse 20. I love what Jesus does to confront him. Look at Jesus play the religion card on this rich young ruler. Verse 20, he says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And then he says, the rich young ruler says, all these things I have kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, and listen to this, you still lack one thing. Now that statement alone, that sentence alone is so powerful because when the rich young ruler came to see Jesus, he was a man who was known for his status in that community. His wealth, his possessions, his stuff, his status, it all went before him. He would have been admired by everybody else in town. And when he comes to Jesus, he comes with everything that he does not lack. He comes with his own sufficiency. And Jesus says, yeah, but you still lack one thing. What does he do? He calls out in the midst of his self-sufficiency the one thing that he cannot provide for himself. I love what he says here. He says, all these things I've kept from my youth, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. See, the rich young man thinks that religious fulfillment will earn him 
eternal life. And Jesus sees this good young Jewish boy and he looks at him and says, well, up to this point, the thing that you've been required to do is fulfill and to keep the law of Moses. Have you done these things? And he said, I've been a good religious boy. But what's interesting about it is that Jesus was the very fulfillment of the law of Moses. And now he's come face to face with Jesus and Jesus says, it's no longer about religion. Now it's about having a relationship with me. I think it's so important that we understand that eternal life is something that can be found not just through religious exercise, but through a personal relationship with Jesus. And Jesus invites us into that personal relationship and dead and dry ritual and religion cannot earn us eternal life when Jesus is extending the hand of relationship and saying, come follow me and discover everything that I have for you in this life and the life that is to come. I love how he plays the religion card almost to, oh, there was a bug almost to confront him with his own insufficiency. It's such a beautiful thing that Jesus does. Now, I want to take this a step further because I asked you that question, you know, am I a fan or am I a follower? I'm a big sports fan. I'm not as big of a sports fan as I used to be because I think as years go by, I've kind of chilled out a little bit with like my obsession with my teams. You know, my dad grew up in LA and so he's kind of raised me on the Dodgers and the Lakers and the Rams. Like those are my teams, those are my squads. You might support a different team, that's cool. But when I was younger, like if the Lakers lost a playoff game, it was like, oh my God, I'm devastated until the next game. Then I grew up a little bit more and it was like, okay, these are silly, trivial things that I'm taking way too seriously. I used to feel that way until the Rams were playing in the NFC Championship game. And then in overtime, when we lined up to kick the game-winning field goal, I was on pins and needles. I'm just like, I'm so tensed up and so tightened up as I'm watching it on TV. I'm so nervous because I want to win this game like so bad. I want to win this game so bad. <laughs> and so as only my wife could, she takes out her phone and is recording all of this. And I'm so oblivious to what's happening around me. And at the very moment that the kick goes up and through the uprights, I let out a shout that our entire neighborhood had to have heard. Some of you probably saw it on Instagram because my wife put it there. <laughs> it scared my, my children. And it was like suddenly I'm in the middle of the game too. It's like I'm one of the players on the field. Here's the funny thing about it. I kept yelling out, we're going to the Super Bowl. We're going to the Super Bowl. Guess what? I didn't go to the Super Bowl. <laughs> the Rams went to the Super Bowl. Now, that's my squad, but I didn't go to the Super Bowl. In fact, I've never met anybody on the team. Let me take it further. I've never put on a uniform. I've never worn the helmet. I don't know what it's like to be on that team, to play in the NFL. Why? Because I have absolutely no skin in the game. I'm just a fan. And can you imagine how much they would probably laugh at me if I was standing on the sideline yelling at them and telling them what to do and acting as if I have as much in it as they do when I'm not the one who's on the field? It's funny because sometimes as fans, and those of you who are crazy sports fans, you know what I'm talking about. We can take it so seriously as if we're one of the people on the field. And like, I'm just cheering for the jersey. I don't know any of the guys who are wearing those jerseys and playing in the game. And I think that what Jesus is saying here to the rich young ruler is I think he's saying, from a distance, you see me like you're a fan. You see in your own way that I'm good. But I'm calling you to stop being a fan and to come be a follower. Put some skin in the game. Get off the sidelines and come follow me. Get in the game because there's so much that we can accomplish on this earth and then we can walk into the eternal life that God has prepared for us. And here's the thing. 
There are a lot of us as Christians that our relationship with God is sitting on the sideline or sitting in the stands from afar admiring the works of God and saying, wow, those are great. Wow, those are good. And all the while, Jesus is inviting us to get in the game and to get off the sideline. But here's the deal. If we want to get in the game, it's going to cost us something. Because imagine me standing on the sideline as the Rams are playing on the field, just itching to get in the game. I mean, I'm 5'11", 170. First of all, I wouldn't last, okay? But I'm not exactly in football shape. So in order for me to get from there to here, or from here to there, I would have to probably do a few things. I'd have to count the cost of recognizing what it's going to mean to get in the game. And Jesus says, I want you to go from being a fan to being a follower. There's so much more that I have in store for you. And I want to just say to every single person here, I would ask you about your Christian walk with God. I would ask you about your daily life and how it is that you interact with Jesus. I would even take it further than that. And I would ask you about how it is that you serve others when it comes to being a part of the local church. Are you a fan watching from the sidelines and sitting in the stands, admiring what's going on from a distance? Are you a follower, someone who's gotten out of the stands and off the sidelines and you've gotten into the game? You got skin in the game because this counts for more than time. This counts for eternity. I would invite you to analyze that in your own life. I believe God's calling all of us to do that, to get out of the stands and to get into the game. Now that leads us to the third question that all of us, confrontational question that all of us must answer. Number three, is earthly gain better than heavenly loss? Is earthly gain better than heavenly loss. Now that sounds like a silly question if we just take it at face value, but the reality is for a lot of us, we are unwilling to part with all of our earthly gains and lay those things down so that we can step into everything that God has for us in life here and in the life that is to come. Look again at verse 23. But when he heard this, Actually, we didn't read this part earlier. We read this now for the first time. But when he heard this, talking about the rich young ruler, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. What is he confronted with? Jesus says, hey, you lack one thing. Take everything that you own, all your stuff, all your status, all your possessions. Sell it, lay it down, and give it to the poor, and come and follow me. He became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, that's a big, big statement that Jesus just made. And he kind of makes a big sweeping statement about the idea of wealth and possessions and money becoming a God in our life. And he talks about how difficult it is for a rich man to have all of these things and still enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, in a very specific instance of how, you know, wealth or possessions or stuff can become little g gods in our life, Jesus is making a big, broad point here. But here's the thing, that might not be the thing for you. There might be other things in your life that have crept in and become little g-gods that have kicked God off of the throne of your life. And it doesn't matter whether it's wealth and possessions or it's something else. When we exit this life and enter into eternity, we don't take any of those things with us. And when I think about that illustration and that picture that Jesus is talking about here, you know, theologically and historically, there's been all kinds of, you know, an analysis on what he's talking about there with the eye of the needle and the camel. But the most simple of all pictures that we look at there is the idea of taking our possessions, our stuff, our status, and piling it on top of ourselves and trying to enter into the kingdom of God. What Jesus is saying here, it's like a camel trying to go through the eye of the needle. You can't take those things with you because if we want to step into the kingdom of God, we have to be able to lay down our excess baggage. 
And for a lot of us in life, what we want is for God to be pleased with our life, but not let go of the things that are kicking him off of the throne of our life. And Jesus says, if you'll lay those things down, you can step into the eternal life that I have for you. So I want to ask you this question again. Is earthly gain better than heavenly loss? Because what we see in this passage of scripture is that the rich young ruler, after Jesus confronts him with this question about selling everything he owns, come and follow me. It says that he walked away sorrowful. Because what the rich young ruler was confronted with is that if I want to gain everything that heaven has to offer, I have to lay down everything that I have in this earth. Now that's pretty heavy. Because we get so attached to our possessions. Isn't it interesting? You know, we say this phrase all the time. We bring nothing into this life and we will take nothing with us. Like, and that's totally true. But isn't it interesting that when we bring nothing into this life with us, we get attached to so many things between the time that we come and the time that we go? There are so many things that grab hold of our heart. There are so many things that grab our attention, that you know, kind of make their way inside of us and become as big as God in our life so often. It's because we allow these things to get attached to us. And the rich young ruler has to contemplate, am I willing to step out and give up everything that I have now so that I can gain everything that God has for me later? And what's so sad about it is that as he walks away, the perfect illustration, everybody that's watching, as he walks away, what they see is that he's unwilling to part with what he has now so that he can gain what God has for him later. Because when we say that, what we're saying to God is, the life that I can create for myself on this earth, God, is better than the life that you have for me when this life is over. That's a dangerous place to be. Now, it doesn't matter what your thing might be. There might, it might not be riches. It might not be stuff. It might not be status. It might not be possessions. It might be something else for you. But can I tell you something? When you go, you can't take it with you. And when, I, when this life is over, I want to step into everything that God has for me later. So I need to be willing to part with things that are becoming little g-gods in my life now so that I can possess those things later. Amen? Is earthly gain better than heavenly loss? Let's read on. Look at verse 26 real quick. And those who heard it said, who then can be saved? Now you have to picture this. All these crowds of people that have been following Jesus, his disciples who are standing there, they see this rich young man come and ask, how can I gain the kingdom of God? And when they see this rich young man, they see him as being a good religious man. They see him as being a guy who has, they see him as being a guy who has everything figured out in life. He has stuff, status, wealth, possessions. He's got everything that someone would want in this life. And as soon as he walks away sorrowful, they all stand there marveling, saying, this guy that we look at as being so great in our society walks away from the blessing of God. Therefore, who can be saved? And that leads us to the final question, the fourth question this morning. Do I have faith for the finish line that's in front of me? Do I have faith for the finish line that's in front of me? They ask that question, who can be saved? Look at what Jesus says in verse 27. The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Here's what I want to point out to you this morning. There's an old phrase, many of you have probably heard this. I don't think it gets used that often anymore, but the phrase goes something like this. A bird in hand is worth two in the bush. How many have heard that before? How many of you still say that? <laughs> a bird in hand is worth two in the bush. And really what it means is the possession, the one possession I have in my hand right now is greater than the two that I could have because if I pursue the two that I could have, I risk losing the one that I have in my hand now. 
Now, I get the logic behind that, but I think it's a pretty good illustration of the way that we view the kingdom of God and heaven and the life that God is calling us to sometimes. Because it takes faith to believe that God has eternal life for us at the end of this life. It takes faith to believe that. And when we come into relationship with God, his spirit bears witness with ours, and we choose by faith to follow him. But a lot of us are unwilling to let go of the thing that we can hold in our hands right now because we can't yet hold the thing that God has promised us later. And when I think about this rich young man walking away sorrowful, I think about the disciples sitting there thinking, how in the world could we possibly get into heaven? We don't have his status. We don't have his stuff. We don't have his possessions. But I love what happens next, and I want to read this to you real quick, because Peter has this revelation. It says again in verse 27, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Now look what happens, verse 28. Then Peter speaks up and he says, see, we have left all, Jesus, and we followed you. I think one moment Peter was standing there with Jesus and when the rich young man came around, he was intimidated because this guy brought status with him. When he saw the rich young man, he saw everything that he wasn't. He saw everything that he didn't have. And he comes and he has greater status and greater stature than anybody else that's standing there because of who he is in that community. But when he basically makes the decision that he's unwilling to part with what he has now so that he can step into what God has for him later, he walks away and everybody's marveled by this and suddenly Peter gets the revelation. I might not have everything that that guy has, but I have the kingdom of God to gain in eternity because I've forsaken it all to follow Jesus. I've read that passage of scripture many, many times throughout the last few years, and I always thought it was Peter bragging and saying, see, I'm better than that guy. I've laid it all down to follow you, Jesus. We're greater than the rich young man. He might have all the stuff, but we have you and we have the kingdom of God. But as I read this over the last few days, I think Peter had this great revelation where he realized, I might not have material things. I might not have great status in this community. In fact, because I forsook everything else to follow Jesus, people might actually look down on me. But I think Peter was like halfway through his journey and realized, I've made a great distance from where I came from and I'm getting closer to the place that God is calling me. And I might not have a lot of stuff, but the kingdom of God is in front of me and I'm stepping into all that he has for me and I'm not looking back. I'm gonna keep going. I'm gonna keep going. I'm gonna keep going. I'm gonna forsake everything else to chase after the kingdom of God that lies before me. And that fourth question that I asked you, it might've sounded funny, but here's the point. Do I have faith for the finish line? It takes faith to believe that God has great things for my life now and in eternity because I can't yet hold it all in my hands. And when Peter has this revelation, he talks to Jesus and he says, look, we've left everything, Jesus, to follow you. And watch what Jesus says. Verse 29, and Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. Now here's what gets me about this. Peter looks at this and says, we've forsaken everything. And what Jesus tells him is, not only are you going to have eternal life, but there's blessing for you in this life also. But you know what's crazy? The rich young ruler didn't stick around long enough to hear that part because he just walked away sorrowful thinking that if I have to give up everything I have in order to get everything that Jesus has for me later, it ain't worth it. 
And Peter has this revelation, I've already paid that price. And Jesus says, that's right. And not only will you have eternal life, but you will be blessed immensely in this present age. Can I tell you something? God has eternal life for you if you will choose to see him as God and not just good. But not only that, he wants to bless you in this life. God wants to pour out blessing into your life that is so great you won't be able to contain all of it. But it starts with saying, God, you are more than good. You are God. I take your words as weight and authority and truth in my life. I apply them. I'm not just going to be a fan. I'm going to be a follower. I'm going to count the cost of heavenly gain and lay down my earthly losses. And I'm going to follow you all the way to the finish line. You know, we're almost done this morning. We're about out of time, but when I think about the idea of having faith to the finish line, <laughs> I can't tell you, <laughs> I just have to laugh about this. I can't tell you how many people I talk to that on a daily basis, we make decisions to trust God when we don't know how he's going to work things out for us. I was visiting uh, my, my cousins last year when we were in Arkansas my cousins were telling me that out on the farms there in Arkansas, there was a lot of people that were growing cornfields. And one of the businesses they were creating was they were making these huge, giant, elaborate cornfield mazes. And he was telling me about how if you go out there in one of these cornfield mazes at night, it's not just a game. Like you do it in the darkness with a little bit of light and like they're trying to scare you because you never think you're going to get out of this thing. And I was talking with Pastor Nick this week and we were just talking about like some specific things that we all walk through in life. I think for a lot of us, we feel like sometimes we're walking through a maze and as soon as we feel like we're getting close to the things that God has for us, we hit a dead end. We become discouraged. And we want to quit. But if you could like look at the drone view, the overhead shot, the thousand foot angle of the maze and see how close you are to the finish line and see how close you are to getting your breakthrough and seeing how close you are to getting all the things that God has promised you. See how close you are to finding that open door. I don't think you'd quit. I think you'd keep going. And it takes faith to believe that God's still going to bring you to that breakthrough. It takes faith to believe that God's going to provide when you don't see how. It takes faith to keep going when, you've discouraged, when you're discouraged after all of the closed doors that you've been running into. And not only that, but it takes faith to believe that if I lay down everything I have in this life because God has so much better in eternity, it, it takes faith to do all of those things. But I believe if we could step back and stop seeing things from just our view and from our perspective, and if we could see things from God's perspective, Scripture tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Can I tell you something? God isn't, God isn't pleased with how much stuff you have. God isn't impressed with your status. God's not impressed with your stature because he made you. He gave you life. He's the one who spoke the very life that you have into existence. You know what God's looking for from us? Faith to believe that my life counts for something greater than time, it counts for eternity. And I have to come face to face with the question, do I have faith for the finish line? You, know, you might be here this morning, and when you think about your walk with God, you look at Jesus from a distance as a spectator, and you say, well, Jesus seemed to be a good man. He had some good teachings, and he quite clearly did some really good things. But see, the question this morning isn't whether or not Jesus was good. The question is, was Jesus God? Because there's a lot of trivial things we'll face in this life. But there's one big eternal question each and every one of us have to come face to face with. When this life is over, what happens next? 
And Jesus could have some good words about eternity if you just think he's good. But let me just tell you something. If you can believe that he is God, he has the words that will give you life everlasting. This morning, you might be in a place where you've never made a decision to commit your life to Christ. We're in closing this morning. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And you might be sitting here today and you feel like your life and your relationship with God is something that's been happening at a distance where you're standing on the sidelines or you're sitting far away in the stands watching everybody else interact with God like you have no skin in the game. But can I tell you something this morning? God doesn't want you to just be a fan. Jesus wants you to be a follower. He wants you to get involved. He wants you to reap all of the rewards of his success and the price that he paid in this life so that we could have eternity with Jesus. I want to ask everybody right now if you would bow your heads with me, if you would close your eyes. We're not going to do anything strange. We're actually just going to give everybody a private moment to take an inventory of your life and of your heart. To take an inventory simply means to look and see what's there and what's not there. You might be here this morning and you have a belief in God that does exist in your heart, but you've never come into a personal relationship with Jesus. I want to tell you that Jesus loved you so much he laid his own life down in exchange for yours. Scripture tells us that we were separated from God because of our sin, our imperfection, our mistakes, our wrongdoings. Scripture also tells us that all of us have sinned. We've fallen short of God's perfection and God's glory. But God in his great love and great grace and great mercy loved us so much that he sent his very best, Jesus, to die on the cross in exchange for our very worst, the sin that had separated us from him. You might be wondering this morning, does God love me? Does God care about me? I want you to know that he loves you so much, he gave his son in exchange for your life. Maybe you're here today and you've just been watching from a distance. Can I ask you, can I invite you this morning to step into a personal relationship with Jesus and know what it means to have peace in your heart, to have salvation, and to have life everlasting when this life is over. The way that we do that is simply putting our faith in our heart from the inside out in God, inviting him in speaking out the words of belief and confessing Jesus as our Savior, as our Lord. We're going to do that here in just a moment. And I want to invite every single person in this place to repeat these words right after me. Maybe you've never done it before. Maybe you have done that before. You know right now that you are far from God. You've been walking from a distance from God. I want to invite you to come back into relationship today because Jesus loved you so much that he gave his life for you, knowing that you might choose him for a second time or a third time. If you're a prodigal son, I want to invite you to come home today. If you're a prodigal daughter, I want to invite you to come home today because Jesus loves you. God is waiting at the front door for you to come back. We're going to pray a prayer right now. Would you repeat these words after me and say, Dear Jesus, today I choose you. I put my faith in you. I believe in you. I believe you died for me, for my sin. I believe you were raised back to life, conquering death so that I would not have to face it. Today I choose you. I choose to follow you. I choose to walk with you. I want to know your ways in this life and into eternity. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for receiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We just have a few more moments left in service, and so I just want to invite everybody, please hang tight till the end of service. But Right now, this is very important that everybody hears this and knows this. If you just made a decision today to commit your life to Christ, not just to see Jesus as being good, but recognize that he is God, to surrender control 
of your life over to Jesus. We want to help you start your journey. This isn't the end of the road. It's simply the beginning. We want to put a simple tool in your hand. It's a small book called The Next Seven Days to help you get started in your walk with God. There are two different ways that you can get it. Right after this service, we're going to have some prayer teams that are right down here at the front of the platform. If you just want to walk up to one of these teams and say, hey, today I made a decision to follow Jesus and just ask for the book, they'll give it to you. We don't need anything from you, but we are here to help in any way that we can. Maybe you need prayer. You want someone to stand with you, to agree with you, to encourage you. That's why those prayer teams are here. Please take advantage of that. But if you made a decision, come and get a book. The next seven days, we would love to help you start your walk with God. And when the service is over, if you need to go quickly at the conclusion of service, please stop by the next seven days desk. It's right between the glass doors. Let them know today you made a decision to follow Jesus. They would love to give you that book to help you. If there's anything we can do, we don't need anything from you, but we want to help you start your walk with God. We're so glad that you made that decision today. Can we put our hands together and welcome people into God's family? Awesome. Pastor Gary just has a couple more things that we want to share with you this morning. Give Pastor Zach a good hand this morning. Thank you, Zach. I want to share a couple things just before we go today. Um, sometimes in our world, unthinkable things happen and they hit close to home. Yesterday afternoon, less than an hour's drive from here down in Poway, uh, somebody walked into a Jewish synagogue and started shooting people. I'm sure you've all heard about it. It was on the news. Um, this morning, I want to share just two or three thoughts before we go. There, there's so many angles and so many things that could be said. I'm, I'm not the guy who jumps every time society does something. I teach God's Word. I think God's Word is bigger than what society sees. But I want to share a couple things this morning. Number one, I want to make sure everybody understands when you come to the Bridge Church, we do have a well-trained security team in place. They're prepared for certain situations. But I want to go way beyond that for just a couple of minutes, just real quickly. So please hear what I have to say. Somebody's already asked me, well, what do you think about what happened yesterday in Poway? When these kinds of things happen, it's not an act of God. It not, it's not something God has inspired. It's evil. Straightforward, simple. It's evil. And I've I know the police are still doing their, their investigation. I was reading more about it early this morning, getting information. There might be a thread in there that says this young man has quoted New Testament scriptures saying this is what's promoted me to do this. I'm going to say something today. God's Word does not tell any Christian to go kill other people who see the world differently than you. I don't care who it is. It's evil. Now, we can get into the mental health debate. We can get into this and that. The bottom line is it's evil. It's evil. And in our world today, there's so much happening around the world that, you know, we tend to ignore it all. We're, we're kind of numb to all of it until it hits close to home. But there's some people just a few miles down the road from us who are really hurting today. A lot of people living in fear. But God's not the author of our fear. I want you to do something with me today. I want you to bow your heads. I'm going to pray a prayer. I want you to join with me for those people who are hurting and suffering and living in fear today, okay? Father, today we look to you as our hope and our strength. 
God, even when unthinkable things happen in life, when horrible, evil things like this shooting takes place, all we can do is look to you and trust you. We don't have all the answers. We don't have all the whys and what ifs. But I pray today for those people down in the Poway area who are hurting today, those family members who've lost a loved one, friends who've lost a loved one, those who've been injured in this shooting, Father, I pray you would comfort them, you would bring healing to them, you would bring safety to them, and Father, I pray you would drive the fear out of their lives and God, lead them to a place where they can trust you for every need that they have in life. And Father, I pray today, Lord, for your hand of protection upon your people. And Father, I know that your word declares that we will face moments of persecution. But, Father, we see this for what it is today, and we ask that your grace would be greater, that we would speak words of encouragement, we would speak words of love and not words of hate, that we would follow the teachings of your word and not give in to the emotions and the divisions of men. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Hey, I love you guys today, and, I, and I, this is one of those things when it hits close to home, we need to talk about it. This coming week, there's a lot going on. Tomorrow night is the season conclusion for Bridge Women. Starts at 6.30. Ladies, it's going to be a great night. Wednesday night is our worship and prayer night. And then uh, one other thing, don't forget, next Sunday morning, Connecting Point happens during second service. One last thing. Uh, can I just tell you how excited I am that God is working among the teenagers here and the youth here during, you know, Bridge Youth and what we're doing? Pastor Corey and Amber, what God's doing among the youth, it's a great thing. Do you know, this past Wednesday night, this is not unusual now, but this past Wednesday night, they had just over 250 teenagers out there on Wednesday night. I mean, it's, it's an awesome thing. It's an awesome thing. And I keep telling Pastor Corey, don't you get the big head. You're not doing this. God's doing this, Okay. I know he thinks he's cool, but he's not that cool. He, he likes hip-hop music, so we're still praying for him. He's not learned to like country yet, so we're working on him. But, but let me say this very seriously. We got a lot of kids going to youth camp this summer. We got several kids who want to go, but they're not really in a position. You know, youth camp's getting really expensive for families, especially if you have more than one kid. There's a table set up out to the left far wall out in the lobby today. If you're interested in helping sponsor a student Go to camp this summer, student who's in need. Stop by the table. They'll, they'll help you out right there, whatever amount it can be, if it's a little, if it's a lot. Whatever you'd like to do, it'll be a blessing to a youth. I promise you that. Hey, we love you today. God bless you. Stand to your feet. Have a great, great Sunday.